Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I hope you had a good weekend and enjoyed the various good news stories about Irish women that were all over the news. I mean, of course, Tipperary woman Rachel Blackmore winning the Grand National on Manila Times on Saturday, becoming the first woman ever to win that race in its long history. A massive, massive achievement. And we on the Women's Podcast are only sorry we didn't have a few euro on her. But we send her all the congratulations and admiration. What a year Rachel is having already. In a completely different landscape, another glass ceiling was shattered on Saturday. Maybe we should rename that day Shatter Day. Well, although that sounds a bit rude. But anyway, when Professor Linda Doyle was elected as the first female provost to lead Trinity College Dublin in its 429 year history, She's going to be the 45th provost of the university and take over from the current provost, Dr. Patrick Prendergast, on August 1st this year. Professor Doyle is Professor of Engineering and the Arts at Trinity and the provostship has a term of 10 years, during which she'll be responsible for leading the university in achieving its core mission in education, research and innovation. And the job also comes with the perk of living in number one Grafton Street, a very grand house. I was in it once. It really is something else. We wish the new provost all the best in her job. And finally, we should mention that Ireland's women's four at the European Rowing Championships picked up a silver medal, narrowly being beaten by the Netherlands in a sprint finish. So lots of great news there and well done to all of them. Today's episode is our book club. As always, there was a lively conversation when we got together on Zoom to talk about Acts of Desperation by Megan Nolan. This is the Waterford Woman's debut novel and it's getting rave reviews all over the place. So what will our book clubbers think of it? Well, you are about to find out. Well, here we are with the book club again, Anne Ingle, Bernice Harrison and Neve Towie. And we are discussing Acts of Desperation by Megan Nolan. And I thought because there was a really brilliant review of this book in the Los Angeles Times, no less. I thought I'd read you about the first couple of paragraphs of that before we go to our book clubbers for their verdicts. The review goes, the template is familiar. A young woman, miserable, falls hard for an attractive, withholding man. He's older a writer with cruel grey eyes and large hands holding forth at a gallery opening. When she makes a casual self-deprecating comment about not understanding art, positioning herself already as the pupil, he responds earnestly. Isn't it our job to understand? Why these objects in this particular room? And the stage is set. I know this guy, thinks the reader. He's going to destroy her. So begins Irish writer Megan Nolan's wrenching debut, Acts of Desperation, a chronicle of a sinister, deeply imbalanced and unsettlingly familiar 
romantic relationship vivified by alcohol and laced with the threat of violence. Nolan is likely to draw facile comparisons to her brilliant compatriot Sally Rooney, whose work also turns a spotlight on power dynamics in relationships. But that move won't do justice to the darkness in this book. Neve Tarry, what did you think of this book and the darkness within? I thought it was probably one of the best books we've had on the podcast so far. I absolutely loved it and I think that's because what this book does so brilliantly and I think what all brilliant books should do is that I felt I learned more about the human condition from this book and what it was to be a young woman um, in all its various different guises. And what the, the main character represents here is not my experience of young womanhood, but yet it is the experience I've seen in so, so many of people in my orbit but I've only ever seen it from what is portrayed on the outside to be quite a kind of loose um, kind of how would you describe uh, how she appears on the outside I suppose um, first of all she's a frustrating friend she ditches her friends for boyfriends she is in this spiral of drink and partying and you're just you're angry with her for not pulling it together but what this book does so brilliantly is it tells her story from the inside in the most raw and and raw is probably an overused way to describe a character. But um, it's so searingly honest and interesting. And I think she just she just digs right into the heart of those characters and what it means to go through those things as a young woman in ways that I've never seen in a book before. And I know it's been she's been compared to Sally Rooney and people like that. But this was I thought another level apart from that and um, I'm just so appreciative that we have this book and I think uh, people my age should will and will um, eat it up. That's why I think it's very interesting this gathering talking about this book because we've all generations. I mean, you're the youngest of us, Neve. I'm older than you, Bernice, slightly older than me and then my mom, obviously in her, her 80s. I really love and I'm interested in the fact that you said it's not your experience of womanhood, of young womanhood. You've seen it in maybe others. And so for you, it was like getting a bit of an insight into into that world. And it didn't detract you that that, because I suppose the best novels do that. You mentioned the human condition. I totally agree with you. I found it so addictive for that reason. I wanted to have more of those insights. I think she has this particular skill of really getting under the skin of of what it was like for this particular young woman. But it didn't deter you, the fact that clearly you haven't lived that experience at all. That didn't bother you. No. Well, I mean, we, we've all lived parts of her experience to a certain extent. But just a background, she kind of is rumbling through her early and mid-20s in a job she's clearly too good for, but yet she has very little interest in moving outside of it. She lives for drinking. Drinking is an escape for her. You know, she does problematic things when she blacks out drunk and her, she doesn't remember and her friends have to tell her and this is frustrating for her friends. And I think we've definitely all had that in our friends at a certain point in their lives or our lives. And I suppose I feel like probably a better person for having or I could be a better person for having read this book because I now feel like I understand more what the pain and suffering going on behind those characters and why they do those acts of desperation, as the novel is called. So that that's what I mean, I suppose, when uh, I think I knew more about the human condition for having read it. And on top of that, she deals with issues like um, body image, you know, it's it's done really subtly and yet it's completely pervasive throughout the book. 
and relationships and obsessive relationships with men and I'm sure we'll be able to get into more of that later but um, it, it was like those aspects we can all relate to I'm sure but uh, I suppose the character overall was definitely one I've encountered before and probably didn't have the compassion to know to know or to understand what was going on underneath now I feel like I can. Yeah and of course I should say like um, I suppose the whole thing of a novel is you don't have to have in any way relate to it it's if it's either done well or it's not done well and clearly Neve, you are very impressed mm. by it and I'll come back to you again maybe later on about those obsessive relationships and, and what you observed from that in the book. Bernice Harrison, what did you think of Acts of Desperation? Well, Roisin, um, now, an acid test for me always is whether I press a book into somebody else's hand the minute I've finished it, you know, or, the, or whether I order it for them online and send it to them because they have to read it. Now, I don't have my copy of Acts of Desperation anymore because I did press it into a pal's hand because... Um, this is a very cool friend of mine who is always totally on top of the cultural zeitgeist, has always read the new books and the books everybody's talking about, seen the films, whatever. And this book to me fell into that category because I was very aware, as you say, it's got a lot of international noise. And so I felt my friend had to read it for that reason. For myself, I... I had a rocky start to the reading of this book because I kept on having to look at the back of the book thinking, is this a memoir? What what am I reading? Am I reading a novel? Am I reading a memoir? What am I reading? What am I reading? And that, so I had a very unsettling kind of start to it in a sense. And I know the book started off as a selection of essays. It started off as a memoir. And her editor uh, said, you know what? No, no, make a novel of it. And she said, okay. So she started working on a novel. So with that in mind, I was sort of unsettled all the way through. It's a first person narrative. I think first person narratives are they must be must be really, really hard to write because you have to put a clear blue water between the writer and the character that's created. I didn't feel that blue water was there at all. And then furthermore, if you have a central character, first person narrative, then as a reader, you have to you have to like the character, hate the character. You have to, in some way, have some sort of emotional response to the character. And unfortunately, my response to the character was that I was very, very bored by her. I was very annoyed and bored by her. And I couldn't, if she was a a person in this room, I couldn't bear it to talk to her because she's so self-absorbed. I just thought, take your nose, your eyes out of your navel and look around the world. This business of interior, you know, exploring her interior. Yeah, that's fine. But when the interior, when the exterior is also boring, I just thought, oh, for God's sake, I just couldn't. I, I was just extremely bored by the book. And the the structure of the book furthermore bo- bothered me in that very short paragraphs, or very short chapters, like that, of course. But it felt to me like short stories. It felt to me it was hopping along, bunny hopping along. And the time shifts, I like time shifts. I always find them very intriguing. And this book I did not because there was time shifts in Dublin. And then, wait, what? We're in Athens? Oh, OK. What are we doing here? Don't know. Don't know. So I just, I I found it an unsatisfactory book from the structural point of view. Um, And I just found it just boring. There is a, there is a a thing in theatre where actors are told never, 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 no matter what, no matter what, don't yawn on stage. Do not yawn on stage. Because if you yawn on stage, 
the audience are going to yawn. So she told us so many times how tedious she was, how boring. as well. And eventually I said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. It's really interesting your response to it, because some of the things that you've said there, but why you, you clearly it didn't do much for you are just the reasons that I absolutely loved it. For example, I felt like I was reading someone's diary and I liked that. You know, I, I wanted to see exactly those innermost thoughts, that interior life. I felt it was so well observed. And it, like like I agree with Neve, I think the things she had to say about, I think that sort of ambiguous time and for her not really knowing where she was going and, and sort of hoping that love was going to kind of um, be the answer to all her things. You know, I mean, I know not every young woman goes through that that sort of experience, but I, I do, I sort of, I suppose I relate to it a little bit myself, but also it felt very real. And I think it felt so real because probably, like you say, and we had Megan Nolan on the podcast and she did talk about how some of it is autobiographical. So there definitely is that streak in the book. And I think that's what really appealed to me about it, actually. It just felt very like this was a real young woman. This was, these are real feelings. And um, yeah, and all the, the drinking and the self-destruction and the kind of, all of that stuff that maybe uh, you found boring, I, I kind of loved seeing depicted. Mm, and yeah, I I I hear you. Um, I think though that maybe it's sort of a, a, a general point of view. Maybe I just think, you know, women in their 20s, look around you, you know. So what are you being so obsessed with finding a boyfriend for? For goodness sake, did you did you miss out on feminism? Like I found it a profoundly anti-feminist book, by the way, as well. I mean, she is all she wants is a boyfriend. And you think, what? I don't get it. I, I just fundamentally don't get it. I just found the self-absorption and the narcissism so boring. But aren't we like that as as young women, though? Isn't there isn't there an element of that? Isn't there, doesn't there almost have to be as we move to the world? Just on what you said there, Brittany, sexually, I'm going to read out a part of the blurb of the book. So it, it, the blurb says, love was the final consolation, would set ablaze the fields of my life in one go, leaving nothing behind. I thought of it as a force which would clean me and by its presence make me worthy of it. There was no religion in my life after early childhood and a great faith in love was what I had cultivated instead. And this bit, I think, is it could be directed at you, Bernice. Oh, don't laugh at me for this, for being a woman who says this to you. I hear myself speak. So she's <laughs> acknowledging there that, you know, yeah, but some it's people very are going to think, what the hell? For sure. You know? For sure. But it's very interesting that her love is a very sort of traditional viewpoint of love. It's she wants to fall in love with the man. She doesn't love her hobby. She doesn't love her friends. She doesn't love her work. She doesn't love, she doesn't love anything about her own life. She's putting all this love, Mills and Boone, into a man. And you just think, oh, for God's sake, what? Sorry, 20s, a woman in her 20s? What? What's happened? I think Bernice... It's an interesting point because I think that's part of what makes the book so brilliant and so understated or so it's um, like overly punitive on her character and so honest that you don't like her. And that's real people. And also, you know, we're not born. We don't come out of secondary school always as feminists. I thought this was really interesting because this is her finding that voice. You know, it doesn't just happen like as soon as you go to college. And I felt like the whole description of her obsession with love and, you know, she's she her eyes are wide open to that. It's a very innocent, innocently written 
narrative and she's very honest about that and I really appreciated that on her behalf that she didn't gloss it over she didn't it wasn't like a tweet it wasn't performative in its um, wokeness and that's what I really liked about it um, was that's what makes it honest for me actually that was one of the parts of it that I really liked she's not a likable character and I think probably she hams that up a bit (laughs) <laughs> you know, how unlikable or how self-obsessed she is. And that's, you know, if you were to read any of our diaries from that age, I know I burned mine because I'd hate myself oh, yeah. for reading it. <laughs> yeah, but like, hold on a second. Sometimes why are we juvenile making people so... From that age, she's in her mid-twenties. Like, that's quite... Sure. I'm sorry, but that's quite grown up. I mean, seriously, we cannot keep pretending people in their 20s are in fact 16 and 17. I found her juvenilia just... Unbelievable. But what do you mean by grown up, Bernice? Many of us are in college until we're 23 or four. And, you know, that age has moved on. It's not it's not the same as um, yeah, but yes, parents So this are. prolonged adolescence. You, she seems it to is be, a prolonged but adolescence. But I think that's the point, I, isn't that's it? That's what society has created for us too. Yeah, and it's I a suppose fact I, that we do have a bit longer to go through that. Yeah, but that prolonged adolescence for me anyway, I just think, oh, for God's sake. I mean, Anne Ingle, I bet, when she was 23 or 24, she wasn't, you know, oh, poor me, oh, look at me, I want a boyfriend. But hang on, oh, Bernice. I'm so sad, I want to get drunk because I'm so sad. Bernice, hang on, we're talking about a woman now, we're not talking about someone who's in the 50s or the 60s, like we're talking about well, someone of a more recent time. And I think Neve made a very good point there. <laughs> this prolonged thing is a fact of life. They are getting out of the nest, so to speak, you know, longer. They are taking maybe, anyway, they have that time I think it's brilliant because when I was 17 like my mother Anne Ingle like you were basically get out the door like I don't need you here anymore I didn't have time for no prolonged uh, anything go on mother have your speck okay well um I just go back to to the beginning um I, I, I you could go so having a good argument there but I uh, listened to the book of course as I always do sorry and Anne, who read the, it by the way just to Lauren Coe She's an actress. Oh, you might be familiar with some of her stuff. She uh, she did a great job. Absolutely brilliant. I think her accent. I imagine I ha- I haven't really listened to uh, Megan speaking, but I imagine it was very much that Waterford kind of a country accent, and I kind of liked that. Um, yes, uh, somebody's already said that the, that we don't know the name of this girl who talks about the the narrator, this first-person narrator, but she has a terrible problems. She has many problems uh, with drink and drugs, sex and men. And as she says herself, I looked and fucked like a woman, but could drink and take drugs and talk like a man. So that's the kind of young woman we're looking at. Jesus, Mum, you've only been talking for two minutes and you've already said fucked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I well, no, in quoting, fairness, it, there's a lot of that in the book. So in me, fairness, Roche, now Roisin. From the book. Everyone else managed to get through their bit without saying the word fuck. Did you not notice that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I just, that's all the, Top of the range, Anne. Stop, Roisin. Really, please. Now, anyway, the young woman in question who hasn't got a name, which I find a bit disconcerting, um, she self-harms, she drinks herself into oblivion and uh, when she's drunk, as the saying goes, she's anybody's. Absolutely. Um, she has. She falls in love with this man called Kieran and she's obsessed with him. Uh, she'd do anything for him to make him love her. And, of course, the Kieran fellow is an absolute horror like he he he, um, he he has this thing about he can't taste food or he can't smell things. And of course, 
our narrator loves food and she has a bit of a problem with food as well. So this Kieran fellow is obviously not very nice. None of her friends like him and I don't like him either, but she's obsessed. And I have had that experience in my life where you know the person that you're falling in love with is horrible, yet you still can't stop yourself doing it. So that's real. That happens to women. Unfortunately, we're like Yeah, that. I met him. I, I, I can attest to that. Are you talking Whoop, about my men or your men, Roisin? <laughs> Is there no answer to that question? <laughs> okay, I'll carry on. Um, apart from this Kieran fella, who is absolutely horrible, she has two other men in her life, Reuben and Noah, who I actually quite liked, especially Reuben. He was very nice, but because they're just too nice, you know. But she's a strange character because, you know, she's not a feminist. She uses loads of makeup and she loves to dress herself up and she worries very much about her body, whether it's too thin or to, you know, whatever. Uh, so she's she's crazy. Mom. Yeah. Anne, can I interrupt there just to say, because I feel like I, I, I have to say this, you can be a feminist and wear loads of makeup and worry about your body and all of those things. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Oh, oh yes. Okay. So you put on makeup and you get on a plane and then you get there and you take it all off and you put loads more on. I suppose that's what feminists do all the time. I don't know. It's not like feminists. Anyway. Some people <laughs> like makeup. Some people like to wear makeup and they can still be into equality, you know. Okay, but it's just that she does emphasise it rather a lot. Like she makes herself fully up to get admired glances from people on her way to the airport. She gets on the plane, she gets off the plane, she takes it all off. She puts it all on again and she puts on her little blue dress and she says, I was strawberry ice cream, blue sky. I smelled so good. It was crazy. As she gives herself to Noah. So like, all right, I know. Look, she's a woman. We, we all like to dress up and stuff. And we can still be feminists. And I take your point. Anyway, to carry on. I don't know why I have to keep being interrupted when everybody else is allowed to say what they want to say. If you were to be uncharitable about our narrator, you could say she was masochistic and she's a nymphomaniac, an unpleasant drunk, and basically a crazy mixed up kid. Because, but she's not a kid, as Bernice has pointed out. She's a woman in her 20s. But nevertheless, she's doing self destructive things all the time. She's making herself unpopular with everybody around her. She pretends to do her job and she's not really liking her job at all. You know, you couldn't really, really take to her because, you know, um, but I was so glad that the novel was arranged so that there was a four or five year gap when she she was in Athens because at least I knew that she'd got out of this in some way, shape or form. You know, I was always worried that this was this this girl. I was actually worried that she was either going to kill herself or kill somebody else, quite honestly, because she was very mixed up. So those bits about Athens really gave me hope. But really, uh, that whole yeah, it's was, interesting, um, Mum, because Bernice sort of didn't like that. You know, she talked about the time distant. I, I agree with you. I feel like that bit of distance from the 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 story as it folded along was was a nice breather, and it gave some perspective, and it showed you that the unnamed narrator had moved on and had a different perspective looking back. So there was a kind of a relief for the reader in those moments, maybe. Yes, that's what I felt, Roshan. I felt that at least I knew she'd she'd got herself out of this, but. Um, the trouble was, really, if, if you read to the end of the book, has she really? You know what I mean? So, right, the girl has gone to Athens, but has the girl gone that far away from herself? I, I feel desperately sorry for the, for the girl. And and uh, I can take Neve's um, point of view that it is 
it is what some people go through. And for that reason, it's very important. It's an important book. It's important for young women to know that they're not on their own, that they've been through these dreadful feelings of desperation where they had to drink to make themselves feel somebody or they they had to sleep with a man just to feel that they're a woman. I mean, I, I can relate to that even as as an older woman. And I do think it's an important book for, for that reason. So that would be my take. But you see, when you pick up a novel, really, you're supposed to be enjoying it. Can I say I really enjoyed it? No, I just felt so sorry for her. I felt so upset for her. And I wanted to give her a good shake at times. So that's kind of unsettling, you know, from the point of view of knowing that you loved her. And there were a little bit, a little bits of inconsistencies in the book, which troubled me. I mean, I think it took her a long time to write this book. I, I, I did read an interview that, she, oh no, her essay in the New Statesman that she, she said it took her four years to write the book. And I do feel there are a few little inconsistencies in, in the book that don't quite add up. But basically, I do think it's a very important book. And I, I think it's great for young people to know that they're not on their own when they get mixed up with some crazy man who is horrible and they, they want to have sex all over the place and they want to do all these things. Because it does happen, you know, let's be realistic. Can we talk about the writing? Because for me, I read it really quickly because I found it, I, I the word I would use, I think I said it to Megan, was addictive. I found like I couldn't stop reading it, like I ate it up. Neve, did you have that similar experience? I think I think your point about the human condition and all that, there's a fluidity to the way she writes and a sort of a realness and an honesty and a truth that's very beguiling, I found anyway, very appealing. Yeah, um, I read this book in a couple of days and that wouldn't be like me. Um, I'm quite a slow reader, so absolutely I devoured it uh, really quickly. And I suppose that's because like every page revealed some new truth for me. Um, so like it was valuable and also her sentences. Um, I mean, that would have been one thing that reminded me of Sally Rooney was that her sentences, you read back over and you're like, Jesus, how did she do that? Like some of them are just so succinct and um, just loaded with different layers so I really liked that and also just just to go back to the the fact the point that um she's not named the main character is not named that was kind of lost on me as I went throughout the book I kept flicking back thinking did I miss her name somewhere or is she not named um and then I was kind of thinking about it afterwards like it, it annoyed me a small bit when I was reading it that she didn't have a name but now that we talk about the fact that it is this gray area between memoir and um fiction I think it was actually a really clever stylistically thing to do because it made you think that the, her name was Megan Nolan because um, when you flick back to the front page, that's all you have. Um, so I thought that was really clever actually as well. I, I was annoyed at the time that I didn't have a name to call her, um, but haven't thought about it afterwards. I think that's also a sign of the generosity on behalf of the author that she hasn't given her a name and that you are led to believe that it is kind of her um, and I think we have to also say that this is a really it's a really difficult book to write when there are so many comparisons to your own life. Um, and she's been so honest about the fact that it is uh, I think a lot of it is inspired by her own life. And it, as you said, Bernice, it started off as essays um, like that's an incredible gift to give the reader, I think, um, your own personal life as raw and as ugly as it gets. Um, and I also read into it as well. Um, that perhaps she, um, it's another act of, um, I, not to say there are many elements of 
degradation and, as Anne said, masochism in the book. But it was another act of undermining herself, maybe a small bit, that she was so unlikable. Um, that there or that there, she did so many unlikable, un, un, thing, difficult things to understand. Um, I think um, th- she demeaned herself a lot. And given the the parallels we draw between the character and the author, um, you know, it just reminded me. It reminded me like if you get a compliment about what you're wearing, you say, "Oh, thanks, pennies," or whatever. You know, it was that kind of. Um, I did. I don't believe that she is uh, as reckless as she makes out in the book, um, or that she is as self-obsessed maybe as she makes out in the book. I think that is her undermining herself a small bit. Um, but again, uh, yeah, I just felt it was an incredibly uh, generous way to write on her behalf, and I just, I really, really appreciated her doing that uh, because it did reveal, you know, I. I I was thinking about it and like she she really takes those characters. She took that character and she took it by the ankles and shook it upside down until you knew everything. Every deepest, darkest thought that went on in that person's mind was on a page in there. There was nothing left over. Um, and how incredibly generous that is on behalf of an author to do that. Um, I I that would be one of the things that I really appreciated having read it. It was a difficult read. I agree with Anne. Uh, so much of it was hard to read and I did worry about her um, and worried about the author a little bit as well. Uh, you know, you feel like you wish there was something you could do to help. Um, and I suppose that's why I mean I learned more about the human condition from it. I feel like I would be better able to see the pain and the hurt going on behind those outwardly reckless acts in a friend uh, if it were to happen again. So... Um- Bernice, having listened to Neve, who obviously has a very different take on the book, is there anything that she said that you kind of, you know, un- you understand or do you just completely disagree with this, without her view? Well, I'm afraid I just completely disagree because, because uh, I, as I said at the start, I had such a problem with the, uh, is this is this uh, memoir or is this fiction? And because it seemed neither one thing nor the other to me um i i could i couldn't get into it at all and you know that's that's an aspect of it that that neve liked i i i didn't um yeah i i i didn't and i don't understand the generosity i don't get that she's a writer writing a book i don't get that um so you know and i think i think in a sense you know i I think the, the the Sally Rooney phenomenon is going to, you know, bestride Irish uh, fiction for quite a while, for young women writing for quite a while. I mean, uh, I sort of think, you know, this is her, this is an editor thinking, hmm, okay, Irish woman, hmm, okay, let's, let's, let's mould this into something. I Let's mould these, these essays into something. And that was the result of the, that, that's what this book became. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I just just simply just simply not just simply not for me. I actually think that's uh, I think she's quite a singular voice. I think her voice is very, very different to to Sally Rooney in that, you know, if you look at the sparseness of Rooney's work compared to there's a much more kind of visceral, yeah. colourful kind of stuff yeah, going on. I agree. I just wanted to come in and talk about the uh, parents of, of um, this young lady. The father and mother of uh, our unnamed narrator are painted so beautifully 
I really liked the father and the mother. And although they were separated, they had a lovely relationship. They were very good to her. And I think maybe our narrator is pointing at the fact that she didn't come from a broken home. There was actually no reason for her to be this wild, mad, manic woman, uh, which I think was rather lovely. And if it is semi-autobiographical or whatever, I think that, that that is a deliberate thing on her part to paint her lovely father and mother. It, you know, if, if it's any way true, I don't know. But but I really warmed to them. I loved the bits when she went home. I loved the father and I loved the mother, even though she has this uh, Italian-type boyfriend. And I thought that was a really, really nice touch. And I was really happy doing those things. But you knew she had to get back on the bus, go into town and, and face whatever her real life was. I think that's a really good point, Anne. Thank you. Um, I uh, I don't really take the comparison to the uh, Sally Rooney thing. I think it's completely... No, sorry, can I just re- clarify? I'm not comparing in any way. No, no, I'm not comparing in any way. What I'm trying to say is that there is a publishing phenomenon. I'm not comparing the style. I'm not... I'm, I'm talking about the publishing phenomenon. Okay. That's, I I'm absolutely not comparing in any way. No, let's be really clear about that. Okay. No, that's fair well, enough, I, really. I, Sorry, I, I, I sort of made that. But I, know, I know you're not. I know you're talking about more the fact that they're on the hunt for who's the next exactly. Sally Rooney, who's the Irish that's thing. That's exactly Yeah, yeah I get that's that. Exactly and I, I agree with say. you because this is not Sally Rooney. This is this is raw. This is real. I mean, not to say that Sally wasn't uh, given her own experiences or what she imagined. But um, as I said, I, 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 I don't think this is for every... Um, Everybody, this book, uh, certainly probably not for people like me, but at the same time, I have read it and I have benefited benefited from it from the point of view of going down that road with her, this terrible road. And uh, I do hope she stays in Athens for a long time and sorts herself out. <laughs> well, she's in London now, I think, with a, with a no, new No, no, so. I'm not talking about Megan. I'm talking about the... Oh, <laughs> you, you see, sorry, this gets to my point entirely. But I don't Who care about Who are we that? talking about? Wasn't Martin Amos writing about himself pretty much most of the time? With the Rachel Papers, is that not totally autobiographical? But his characters, he establishes complete characters that you can totally believe in, that you believed they. if you walked down the road and you met them, you would believe in... You'd believe in all his characters, Equally, I believed in hers, though, as well, Bernice. Would you not say that hers were very believable and real? Yeah, but they were her. So, like, it was sort of like... Uh, well, we're saying that the main character, perhaps, like, a lot of it is based well, on then, her in life. Fact, well, actually, but that doesn't mean that the characters, like her parents, well, like what I Anne thought said, her par- I thought are her, not really real. Yeah, I thought her parents were very real. And I thought Anne made a really good point. I, I thought that... The, and in fact, when she went to visit them, I thought she was such a pain in the arse. Jesus, what a test for parents. And she was in her 20s and still coming home being a pain in the arse. God almighty. Well, um... I, you say about characters, I, I didn't, I thought the, the boyfriend, whose name now I've forgotten, um, I didn't find him a very real character. I, I really didn't. I, I found there was little nuggets of a description, but I did not believe in him as a character. No, I didn't. I think he's... I, I, will, I, I do I agree, agree there, actually, I agree with you. I felt he was an, an overarching villain yeah. and perhaps like completely no redeeming characteristics whatsoever, which is probably... Um, unrealistic but again I felt like that was because we were seeing it all through her eyes uh obviously you know he he did terrible things to her and was horrible to her and she doesn't want to say anything nice about him um so that's the picture we get no Um, I think that's more to do with this self-obsession this I cannot see I can't even see him I can't even see my friends I can't even see I'm just thinking all it's all guess what it's all about it's all about me 
And I thought, oh, God. Well, I, I just think that a lot of people at that age are all about themselves and that's kind of probably realistic as well. But um, I, as always, a very fascinating conversation with Anne, you getting the sex bits in very early on, as always. I Look, I was quoting from the book, Rosemary. I know, you always are. You always are quoting from the book. I'm going to finish. I mentioned that glowing review. I just want to do the um, the last paragraph of it. Uh, this very good review says, there are many stories circulating currently in books, films and the press about relationships like the one Nolan writes about and I marvel at my bottomless appetite for them. It isn't only prurience nor simply that it makes me feel less alone. It is satisfying to see a young female narrator rest control of the story of her debasement to show both how specific it is and its utter sameness, her victimhood and her complicity. Each story carries with it some hope that we might understand slightly better or perhaps just differently with each iteration why these objects in this particular room. So she's bringing it back to that comment that Kieran said to her in the gallery. So, I mean, I think it's been a really interesting conversation and it will be interesting to see what kind of response it gets. Critically, it's been highly acclaimed, Bernice, but, you know, we'll see whether when the when it gets out there in a wider readership, what, what book clubs are talking about, because I think it's a great book club book, actually. I'd be very interested to know the age of the woman in the Los Angeles Time writing that review. Ah, okay. I don't know that information. I'd be interested to know, Bernice, what your friend thought of the book. Yes, exactly, because she's younger than me. Exactly, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. And I realise I've been very negative about this book and I realise that's pushing against the tide a bit. But sure, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? No, that's that's okay. And um, I gave it to a friend sort of 20 years younger than me and she has absolutely adored it and loved it and would say very many of the things that Neve has said. So there could be a generational thing there too. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I no? did I did uh, enjoy it, even though I think she's a terrible carry on that she carried on with. But <laughs> I admire her for getting out of it and going to Athens to put a distance between that other life and this new life. Um, not quite sure what she's doing in Athens, but she seems to be on a, a firm. But she's been awfully... Nasty to the men that she sees there as well, so I think she has. She's a, as I said, she's a crazy mixed up kid, and she's not getting any better. She's nearly thirty now when she's in Athens, you know, in twenty nineteen. There's hope for I think in the end, but I think it's a very, I think it's an important book. I think it's an important book. There's hope for all of us. I, I'm a bit of a crazy mixed up kid, so maybe that's why I liked it so much. Um, I think it's it's anyway, it's going to be interesting. Thank you all very much for a fascinating conversation, as always. And like you say, Bernice, the whole point is that there's different views and books are so subjective and we don't all think the same about them. So it's it's great. So Neve Towie, Bernice Harrison and Ingle, thank you very much for joining us. That's all we have time for. Thanks to our book club. And when we figure out the next book, we'll let you know so you can read along with us. In the meantime, Acts of Desperation by Megan Nolan is out now. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop 
dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.